Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jessica. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to move on to our second panel, which I think actually flows very nicely from this previous panel. Um, Elizabeth's nice comment about how this affects remittance. for Savannah Fund, and she recently has joined us having um, spent the last seven years working for Microsoft in new product development. Do we need more chairs? So I'd like to invite our panelists to come on up and grab a chair. I'm going to grab another chair. So I see Spencer, Koja, you're somewhere in the room. Sigeni, I see you as well. Come on up. And then is Roble here as well? There you are. Have a seat. Have a seat. Great. So good morning, and thank you, Malika. Our next panel, as she shared, is remittance-driven e-commerce in Africa. And so over the next 45 minutes, and I do realize we are standing between these folks in the audience and lunch, so try and keep this lively and upbeat and keep us moving along. And of course, so don't get boring on us. Um, but essentially over the next 45 minutes or so, we will be discussing the role and impact of the African diaspora's remittances coming into Africa, affecting e-commerce on the continent. So I'd like to quickly introduce our panelists today. So according to the World Bank, last year, an estimated 30 back to Africa, benefiting about 120 million people. That's a lot of money coming into Africa through remittances. Here in Kenya, it was $1.1 billion. That represents about a 30% year-over-year growth in terms of remittances. Unfortunately, when we look at remittances coming in, here in Africa, the rates to send money are highest in the globe. So here in Africa, on average, it's about 12%. It goes up to about 20% when we look at intra-Africa remittances, when the global average is closer to 8%. So obviously, this has an inherent uh, negative impact in terms of what those remittances can bring to the individuals who are supposed to be receiving them. So based on that context, I want to turn over to our panelists. And in that landscape, I'd like each of you to tell us briefly about your role and about the organization that you work in and how you're working to solve this problem. So Spencer, you've got the mic, so I'll let you go first. Yeah, as you have, my name is Spencer. I work for Equity Bank. Uh, yeah, quite interesting figures. We go there, and uh, uh, as as equity in this paper and partnership, I don't think the rates are, uh, we work in, we're working towards reducing that rate. But basically, if you look at, we operate to repeat money through PayPal back home to a PayPal Kenyan account, is about 2.9% to 3%, which to me is, uh, these are the first steps towards reducing that, that figure. So I don't see, we are doing quite well in, in that space. Uh, and uh, the, prob the greatest problem in using PayPal at the beginning was how do I access my money? And uh, now with our partnership with PayPal, you can uh, uh, get that money from into your bank account in just a couple of days. And uh, that costs you uh, an additional 1.5%. So 
looking at the highest rate that you PayPal charges you of 3% plus 1.5%, you're looking at 4.5%. So I don't see the, f the figures being that punitive with this partnership. Thank you. Um, I believe the reason... Well, Koja, before we get started, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are? Okay, so my name is um, Koja Uribi. Um, I'm the co-founder of Zisht, so it's a remittance-based e-commerce platform currently piloting in Ghana. Um, I have an economics degree from the University of Virginia. I lived in the States for almost a decade and moved back to Ghana last year to start my business. So far, it's been great, and I'm glad to be here. So um, with regards to what she asked, I think the reason why sending money to Africa is really expensive is because most of the money transfer companies are spending a ton of money on um, compliance. Western Union actually said this year they're going to spend 4% of their revenue on compliance which is actually a lot of money, right? So in, with Zish, what we're trying to do is we're giving people cash, cash substitutes. Because when someone sends a gift through Zish, the end user is not getting cash back. What they are getting is um, fiscal goods. So you can send flowers, you can send a cake, you can send a voucher. With these things, because it's a cash substitute, there's no reason for you to actually worry about compliance. So in that end, we're able to pass the savings onto the user which makes us about 60% cheaper than the money transfer models. Hello everyone, my name is Segeni from Mama Mike's. <coughs> um, so I do exactly what Kojo does, only started 12 years earlier. In fact, actually our <laughs> background is very similar. Studied in the US, came back and followed the same uh, business model. And uh, I, echo ex I echo exactly what uh, uh, Kojo said. Um, the, the reason uh, remittance uh, expense is very high is because of uh, compliance. Compliance really is what uh, st stifles uh, proper uh, money, money remittance. And so like, at Mama Mike's, what we have done is looked for what are products that we could substitute money for. And uh, it's not very easy. Um, I mean, the most popular product we have is uh, airtime, as you've seen from the, uh, from the research. Uh, people would you know, send that because it's small and it's easy and it's something you could send home easily. 1.2 million dollars. Um, the other thing is, if you look at it, uh, Western Union, the cash and 90% of their transactions is cash-based. That you can get from their financial statements, MDNA, and so it's highly manual process at this time. And for Kenya and Africa, there is no reason that should be the case, especially for M-Pesa, and that's where we focus on. We want to be a pure mobile-to-mobile -mobile remittance directly to M-Pesa and mobile wallet infrastructures similar to that uh, across Africa. And that's where we plan to pass on the savings to our customers. And I think it's a better customer experience. We've, we've been operating for the last six months kind of on a beta. And we have a delivery partner here in Gulf African Bank. And uh, we spend quite a bit of customer service time dealing with tellers who are kind of not as familiar with our systems and there's confusion and all that. And with our M-Pesa transfers, it's no problem. It's direct. Everybody's happy. Great. Thank you so much. So we've jumped right into this. So I want to dive a little bit more deeply into sort of your companies and your biggest challenges. Because what I really like about this group is we have a very diverse panelists, so from Segeni, who's been in operations for 12 years, down to Roble and Kojo, who've been in operations for about a year, 
And then Spencer, you on the end, you've got a month of learnings based on your equity and PayPal learnings to date. So I'd love to understand from each of you what your overall vision is for this space and then touch a little bit more in terms of what your biggest challenges have been and what you foresee them being in terms of getting to that, that vision. Sure, you're holding the mic. So um, I kind of pointed out a bit of the vision that I have uh, primarily uh, for us for transfers 500 and below, which is a big chunk of the market. Uh, we we kind of want to focus directly on uh, mobile wallet deliveries. Um, and, and part of that is just the efficiencies. If you think about, if you walk down downtown and you see every place you turn is a Western Union agent. Just picture the cost related to documentation that they have to provide, the access to the systems, the people working there, all that. Uh, we, we, we really want to cut off that. There's just no reason why that should be the case. Uh, the other thing we, we look to and provide is also uh, diaspora banking. So I hope to talk to equity later and to give them the vision why uh, dealing with a smaller startup, uh, equity would be a great partner because and there will be a significant portion of my business compared to PayPal, equity is like a dot. I can show him how I can really customize his connection to the diaspora through my application. Uh, and um, and uh, the other thing I would say is we are trying to also solve a big problem. I'm a user of this service. And one of the big problems is generational. How do you deal with the second generation of immigrants? And what we're trying to do is provide additional kind of social type transactions which are not linked. Real estate products, can we disrupt the, uh, the convenience channel of basic goods by giving uh, vouchers and, and airtime and things like that. Um, there's also emergencies like for medical medical cases where people would send money because somebody needs to go to hospital. Or could we disrupt the channel for, for education where we applied for people to send money directly to school fees. <coughs> We've tried all of those. And I got to say, cash is king. As, as much as you create different options for people, people just tend to say, okay, it's good that this is an option, but really what I want to do is send the cash instead. And, and that's been our experience with Mama Mike's. We have had success with, with the convenience items and, and the gifting, the gifting options. But in the, at the end of the day, if you look at our emails that come to us all the time, they, are, they always ask, when are you going to offer a cash transfer, cash transfer business? So cash is king. And unfortunately for small players, unless you're a bank, being able to get in that business is sort of, is sort of like cut out because you need like a big base, you need like a lot of capital to get into that business. And so we're sort of left on the fringes looking for, okay, still let's, let's you know, we're, we're like the, the rebels on the outside saying, what are the options and how can we get into, into, into that mix of that business? Because it's a huge business. Um, if you look at the, I think, I think the, the numbers for, for Kenyan remittances this year maybe are in dollars? How much would you It's 1.1 billion. 1.1 billion. So how many transactions would those be? If you, if you assume the average transaction size is about maybe $300 maybe or something like that. So it's about $100 transactions. So what's, what's a billion divided by $100? Who are the mathematicians? Where's Joel? T 10 million transactions. Those are, those are very many transactions in, 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 in just a year. But it, just, it, it shows you the scope and, and the opportunities in that business.
So, um, so where we are right now is looking at what options do we have to, to penetrate that and, and get around it. And uh, otherwise, the big boys, the equities, the Western unions will continue dominating that market. But I believe um, spaces within technology will open up space. It's very encouraging to hear things like Bitcoin, um, now moving to that space and looking for opportunities. And I think technology will be the driver to change how people do, do remittances. And uh, that's what we are banking on. So we have a new product at Mama Mike's that's called AirPesa. So at the moment, it's focused on sending airtime and electricity vouchers. And, and soon you'll be seeing more products added on to that. And we have ideas we're experimenting with to see how that's going to move. But that's sort of our tactic to get into the money transfer business, you know, outside of the scope of how big banks are, are doing their stuff. Right, thank you. So I just learned from Sigi and Ikashi's Ken. Um, we really are not thinking about doing cash um, remittances yet. What we really want to focus on is the electronic um, gifting, right, e-vouchers. Because the biggest challenge we have in Ghana right now are logistical issues. There's so much traffic in Ghana. And there really, really isn't any pattern for when traffic emerges. It could be at 8 a.m. in the morning. On Monday, you go, sh oh, a lot of traffic. Now, um, <laughs> you go maybe next week, Monday, you go, there's no traffic. So there really are no patterns around that. So once we go electronic, we're able to actually deliver instantly. So in the, next, in the second quarter of next year, that's what, how we want to go. Another big challenge we, um, we're actually facing is how to get the money to Ghana. Because currently we are using um, PayPal and other, um, PayPal and Stripe to actually accept credit card payments, right? So the person outside the country buys the item, they pay for it, it's seamless. But then we now have an extra issue of how to actually get access to the funds. So that's something we need to um, focus on because cash flow is becoming quite a problem. So once we um, go through those issues, we'll be ready to get to the next stage and figure out whether we want to, to get into cash or not. Because we are still relatively young, we are still learning. And I still have a lot of catching up to do <laughs> with them to get any year. you need probably to open an equity bank account so that we can access your PayPal funds. <laughs> uh, one thing I need to, uh, I, I'm, I totally agree with the panelists that uh, cash is king. And that's why access to cash is, very important in as much that we're doing the remittance, access to cash is important. And uh, so again, it's, and that's why the regulations are there. And uh, I hope I'm not corrected five years down the line, but uh, it will be still be working perfectly. But uh, it, it's been, I, I have to say it's been excellent. And I, I'm just amazed at how much money that people have been holding to their PayPal accounts and not being able to access. So yeah. Can you share any information in terms of number of transactions, number of users, number of accounts opened, uh, time it takes for people to receive their payments? It takes, I, I, I'll say, five to eight days. Let's exclude the American and Kenyan bank holidays. Uh, I'm not able to, um, I'll not give you the figures that we, we, we are dealing with. But I tried. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's... Uh, a couple of million of dollars that we're currently looking at that people are actually withdrawing. The other question was? Well, can you just share in terms of the goals that you would set for where, you, where 
equity and PayPal would be? Are you the, guys surpassing your goals at this point? You don't have to share any actual numbers. Yeah, we, I, I'll say we are, we, are surpassing, we are surpassing that. And this partnership was just for the future of money yeah. and so that you can access your money anytime, anywhere, and in any way. And uh, you see, the, once you are, we, we know that you have your money in your PayPal account, but you need that money, as Koja said, yeah, about cash flow. So once you put it into into bank account, we have so many channels that we can access it. So, yeah, it's working. Okay. Yeah. It's working. So, so just keying off the whole timing piece, would any of the either three of you like to talk about time it takes for the sender to send and the recipient to receive? We know it's five to eight days. For you to access your money is five days, but for pay, from PayPal to PayPal, it's 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 instant. instant. There's no there's no time there's no time there. Yeah. Would any of you like to comment in terms of timing, in terms of sending a receipt? So, um, so right now, um, uh, Safaricom hasn't uh, set up the APIs for, for the delivery that we have. So we, the direct SMS, we're doing it in batch processing. So we give the customer, we tell them 24 hours, but it's usually before that, so 9 a.m., if the person sends it yesterday, which is, you know, US it's daytime when Kenya is nighttime, and not around 9 a.m. they should get the money. So it's a couple of hours. So with, um, with our airtime product, it's instant. But, but let me clarify also, it's instant for customers that we know. Because um, in the business, um, you tend to have a lot of uh, fraud uh, because uh, most diaspora who are sending money electronically tend to use a credit card. And so it could be a stolen credit card, it could be their own credit card. Um, so you have to have a verification process to make sure that it's genuine. Otherwise you bear the brunt of the, of the mistake. And you know, when, when you're in this business and you know, you've get some customers putting in large orders in the beginning, you get very excited that hey, I've already this marketing we're doing is, is working very well. We received such large orders and you know, you're very grateful for, for, for those until the bank comes back to you after you've already accepted the payments, sent out the, the items, and then they tell you it was actually fraud, and they take back the money, and they punish you by giving you a higher, a higher rate. So for us, it depends on, on the type of customer. If you're a regular customer with us, it's instant. Um, if you're new, it takes some time before we get to know you because it's sensitive. And with the, I don't know how, how PayPal deals with it or you guys deal with it, but credit card fraud in, in remittances, uh, is, is horrible, it's completely horrible. Compared to here in Kenya where you have M-Pesa, and you rarely hear of um, M-Pesa fraud because I don't think that system can be defrauded in the same way that credit card fraud uh, happens. And, and I think that perhaps is one of the, the biggest challenges. In addition to compliance, I think the other challenge that really faces um, uh, remittances is if people abroad are sending it using credit cards, then fraud will be a significant uh, barrier to growing to growing that industry. Um, so we have the same problem Sijani has. The only thing is, um, in our case, we also have people in Ghana actually using our platform, right? And we have a few of them using their credit card. So anytime they, a Ghanaian uses a credit card, it's not very common, we call and double check as the actual person using it. Because we don't have um, a system where it tells us the billing address matches the credit card, you know? This person is coming from this IP address. In the US, they have all these systems in place. So once someone places another, I'm able to see all these things, and then I can make a judgment call on it. 
But then in, in Ghana, in our local market, we don't have those systems yet. So that's how we deal with it. Spencer Roble, I see you nodding your heads about the fraud pieces. Would you like to continue commenting about how fraud security has been impacting the business? Uh, for, for PayPal, the uh, KYC, the know your customer is well taken care of. And for in cases where they suspect a transaction, uh, they hold your money for uh, some hours just to do some uh, background check and make sure that the money is actually uh, going through the, to, the, to the right person. And fraud is real. There's, uh, there's, there's no, there are no two ways about it. And that's why you see even the banks will have to call the customer to ensure that the guy is actually the person that they have in their system. So, yeah. Probably. I know you're operating some sensitive corridors in terms of remittances. So. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, I think for us, we've, we've put in some security and controls within our apps, which kind of, you know, um, make sure the person who's registered is the same name and on, on, the, on the card. Um, we tend to encourage people to use debit cards and give them a warning because if it's credit cards, uh, they usually ch are charged extra cash advances, which can be huge. And um, But, uh, you know, we've been operating for six months. It's something we keep an eye on. Um, but, um, you know, we're just uh, trying to make sure, I mean, we've put all the controls humanly possible. And now the next step is just kind of watching it and trying to adapt to any new incidents that we come across. Great. It's cash-based remittance. Kenya, I would argue, over 50% cash-based remitters. Uh, the adoption rate, it's, I, I don't know how long, two years, five years, I don't know. I'm not 100% confident on that. But the one thing which I, I really am worried about Bitcoin is um, the s speculators in the market. Because the last two days, oh, you can say, oh, this is just a bump on the road. It moved 70% up. It went down since January. It was $19. Now it's $600. All those factors are negative for the, the mass adoption, we have to look at this as a currency. And for any finance major here, you know, imagine and, and Mama Mike's having to deal with price variations of that magnitude. It's crazy, even for the customer it's crazy. So, but you know, what is the largest uh, trading um, and, and unit in the, it's not stocks, it's foreign currency, is multiples of stocks. They're speculators within foreign currencies, but they don't move the market. You know why? Because there's so much currency out there. And, and, and for example, the Japanese central bank has been notoriously known for trying to lower the yen so that they can have better trade. Uh, with all their cash reserves, they can't do that. So Bitcoin really has to, I don't know, address maybe stop as speculators from, from and getting involved until there's such a mass uh, quantity of it that their movement kind of limits uh, the impact of the currency. So I'll, I could go on, but uh, I'll just stop there. I see Pele jumping in the corner. <laughs> let's, let's, let's finish the responses and then if you'd like, we can allow you to comment. I'm still learning about Bitcoin, so I want to learn more. <laughs> I honestly couldn't have said it any better than him, so. <laughs> 
sentiments shared. How, how do you feel about Bitcoin, given your space? Come again? What are your sentiments about Bitcoin coming in, uh, given where you sit? I'm not so much conversant about Bitcoins, but my, my, great, uh, my greatest question to Bitcoins would be still be accessing that cash. It's, it's good to have a virtual currency, but uh, in the market we play, given that I've researched a lot in the Kenya market, is I need my money. I'll, the virtual is good, but I need it. Because uh, as Sejani uh, can prove to you, there is uh, very little I can do with it online. So the, I need it. I need it in, 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 in this cash format as well. Okay. Pelly, would you like to make any comments? Um, Why don't we'll you move forward right. a little bit, get you on camera. Okay. Um, we'll probably talk about the um, problems of the speculation on the panel, so I'll, I'll leave that. But, but one thing that struck me about what all of you have been talking about is that there are all of these difficulties of achieving partnerships, going in, you know, so you guys have spent a long time, you and, and PayPal, and you know, getting that partnership together. You are trying to create partnership with Equity Bank. Everyone's trying to partner because that's the way the traditional payment systems work. It's all about gatekeepers. It's all about creating these one-to-one -one connections. And the really revolutionary thing about Bitcoin is that it eliminates the complete need for these one-to-one -one connections. You can interact with anyone on Bitcoin, anyone. And that is what's key. And yes, cash is still king. Bitcoin's not going to change that. But we'll talk more on the panel. Yes, next panel. Great. OK, I'd like to open this up to the audience. So are there questions out there, burning questions? See Elizabeth. I'm going to come ladies first again. Hi, guys. I'll go easy on the Bitcoin for now. But um, we talked a lot about the average cost in Africa, and we heard a bit about what the fees are uh, for the PayPal equity bank. But the hidden cost, which we haven't heard about, except for maybe a quick murmur during that last point, is the currency exchange. So how are you guys uh, offering a fair and transparent currency exchange to your clients? Because I mean, most people think they send over in a credit card, and then it arrives in Kenya. But when I pay for my Kenya Airways tickets in USD, and then I actually look what I got for the value from USD to KES, I'm crying. Same thing when I go transfer money from my Citibank in the US to Barclays. I mean, spreads are like 10% I lose constantly. It's ridiculous. So 8% um, is the average cost of fees in Kenya. I know you guys are trying to beat that with 4.5, but what's the added price of the currency exchange? Why are you passing it to me first? You're <laughs> <laughs> the bank. The, the costs for PayPal are, are quite transparent. It's between 2.9 to 3.9 percent. Their cost is quite, their, it's, it's very, very transparent. And so are our costs. It's 1.5 percent when you withdraw it. And what we do, when you're withdrawing the money, we display for you the quote. And the quote is uh, still arguably the best quote. We, we give you at market rate, and we give you excellent, excellent quote. So we, our currency exchange rates are and are still the fairest market. It's that's the same way you work with the financial crisis in the U.S. Uh, but a small section of that law is designed to address cases that Western Union had with hidden fees. So customers didn't know how much they were actually paying. So now Frank Dodd specifies how you're supposed to display, and that's how we built our app. 
according to the Frank Dodd instructions on, on displaying transparently how much the spread is. So from the US perspective, that's covered by law. Uh, but from our perspective, we see that as an opportunity. The reason why uh, a lot of the time Western Union say, $10, how much do I want to send? Uh, $500, $10, how much do I want to send? $1,000, $10. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, I'm getting a great deal here, you know? But you're not because, you know, they're making a third of their money through FX. And the reason why they have to do that is they have a bloated infrastructure which they have to support. And oh, by the way, make some money for their stockholders. And for us, we actually primarily use our FX, which is really a small slimmer, to offset our credit card processing fee, which hopefully will go down with Bitcoin. And, uh, I, and you didn't ask me how Bitcoin will and mash up with us. We see it as, a, as a, an additional payment. So as we offer Visa, MasterCard, uh, the other option would be Bitcoin. And, and so we don't look to make as much money out of FX. We just use it to offset our transaction cost. And we would be happy. Our rates, by the way, equity is 3% and below. Ooh. Did you have a question? Uh, thanks. I just wanted just to make a contribution to this item of FX because it's been something that has been troubling because uh, the whole thing about remittance has not been more about making this money immediately, but uh, eventually we will all make money somewhere. So I agree with my colleagues there and especially Robbie. Uh, it's not about actually uh, making this money immediately. We will be able to bring it uh, down much lower as we go on. The bit about having full disclosure is very important because there are so many parties that are involved. When you're looking at somebody who is just uh, topping up his PayPal account, there is a movement of funds there. So there's definitely some FX that is being uh, pushed down. And that somehow trickles down to the whole transaction when you are sending it down to, to Kenya. So we believe that the partnerships that we have to build in the countries where the remittances are coming, that's where the solution would lie. Uh, we're doing quite a lot of stuff in that area. I'm speaking from equity side. We're doing quite a lot of stuff on that area, trying to figure out which is the best placement that we don't put uh, these FX margins actually as a first piece or uh, the commissions, but we try and figure out how can we be able to improve the remittances uh, that have been traditionally, of course, Western Union, uh, traditionally has been MoneyGram, and the costs are pretty high. We're building them down. And I think actually, besides PayPal, you'll actually see some more remittance solutions. I think one of our cheapest is uh, Visa Personal Payment. The transfers are instantaneous. Uh, they're instantaneous. By the moment you're actually finishing, uh, just pushing the button on the ATM, the transfer has already hit your account. But however, that has not been allowed in the US market. So that is actually how we have to really work very hard to build those partnerships outside in those markets to get things. Uh, for our colleagues, I think Equity Bank is very ready to work with all the innovators around. And uh, yeah, we can talk. Thank you very much. We have a question in the back from Iran, who I just nodded to. So I'm gonna try and race to the back here. 
Well, we're, we're live streaming the event, so I'd love for you to have the microphone so the folks watching can also hear you. Hi, my name is Iran from 3G Direct Pay. Uh, my question is how are you mitigating the money laundering issues? When it comes to remittments from the state, someone is now sending $2,000. Who is doing the money, uh, anti-money laundering uh, uh, check? How you make sure uh, uh, who is the recipient and how if, if this money is a legitimate money? Okay, so uh, that's a good point. That's uh, one of the biggest risk factors uh, from a compliance perspective. Um, and uh, so th there's, there's a couple of layers with the anti-money laundering. The first is the source of the revenue, I mean the, the money that you're sending. And it could be either th gotten through illegal means, like selling of drugs or whatever, or you might be working under the table. You, you'll be money laundering if you're sending... <laughs> if, you're, if you're a Kenyan and you're working under the table, you know, paying taxes, you could be perpetrating money laundering. So uh, one of the natural advantages for an e-commerce uh, player is that you're already working within the b U.S. banking ecosystem, which has already set in place KYCs and where they keep on... All banks do that. And I used to work for, by the way, KPMG Consulting, and we used to do system implementations for anti-money laundering for banks. So U.S. banks are, have got this nailed: how they track where you're putting the, where you're getting the money, and uh, and so and that's a natural advantage that e-commerce platforms have. The second thing I would say is what we are required to do is check against denied parties list. And uh, guess who was our our test case for Kenya? I forget the guy's name. Uh, the politician, the MP who's supposed to be like a drug kingpin. Uh, I forget. I forget his name. But uh, it was a, uh, yeah, he's in the denied parties list. So we, that's one of our test customers we used to. And our system automatically. What are some of the things that you, you, know, you foresee happening? For one, not to, say, not to speak ill of equity, but as I see banks begin to get into the space, of doing um, remittances and playing in, in e-commerce, um, regulation would be one of the areas that they'd use to lock you out in, in terms of requiring this, the same exact KYC requirements uh, since you're bringing money in. Um, so do you expect this to happen to you and what has, have you had some of these incidences actually happen? So, you know, I'm, I'm very scared to talk about CBK because I, I still have to go through applications, you know. <laughs> It took, uh, it took quite a bit of time. Uh, and, and just to clarify the rule in the US, in Kenya, uh, you, to bring money in Kenya, you have to be a bank or you have to partner with a bank. You have to have what is called a settlement bank. So there is no way of going around that. Uh, so there has to be a bank partnership. And, and CB, if you try and email CBK and you're not a bank, they'll just ignore you because they you know, their whole mandate is banks, you know? So you need like an equity to go to CBK and say, hey, you know, there's this company called CoinFling that we want to partner with. And then, and then the process begins. So uh, that one I think will remain. Um, I think uh, from a regular, it took us quite a bit of time. And, and the reason why um, is because we were a brand new remittance company. So we did not have any history um, I would say it took us eight months just to get approval. 
uh, for the partnership we have with Gulf African Bank. Uh, so that is a lifetime for a startup. I almost ran out of money and my investors were walking out. I mean, I, <laughs> it's a long story, but you know, it's tough. Uh, in the US, um, obviously the way I say it is you have to get licensing in each and every state. And some of it is a minimum net asset value requirements for the business. And then also the cost is high. You need to, it, the fee, the yearly fee ranges between $2,000 to $6,000. And then you also need to get a surety bond, which could range between $10,000 to six, and to about three dollars to $400,000. So, and then you, you might have to pay for audits that uh, states have. So if somebody, if for me, if there's somebody, audit is coming from Minneapolis, I have to share the cost. So you can just, the cost just keep on adding. So there's just like a minimum barrier of entry to go in, in terms of like the capitalization you need. But I'll tell you the most interesting uh, barrier is um, it's the banks. The banks up in the US specifically, and you've seen some incidents in UK also where they're shutting down cash-based remitters, is there's a perceived threat of fines for, there's a perception that there's zero tolerance for any money laundering violation. So the banks are scared even to have one violation. And so, for example, there have been cases, Wachovia in the US, I don't know, like $50 million, there's just like a group of 10 um, uh, Hispanic, Mexican um, money transmitters that they were using their accounts for money laundering. They got charged millions of dollars. HSBC, $1.7 billion. And so that perceived threat of uh, and, and, and fines is saying, the banks are saying, we don't want to do your business. We don't make enough money for this to be worth our time. And so that, hence the five months trying to get one bank to do business with you. Great, thank you, Robert. Given time, let's keep moving on to the next question. Thank you. My name is John Karanja. I'm the founder of WIVE, and we are interested in developing social commerce applications. Um, having worked for um, a number of commerce websites in Kenya for the last uh, 10 years, I've always been wondering why airtime um, did not explode in the same way that uh, Bitcoin has exploded, because they share very similar characteristics. So um, I'm wondering what the thought... Yeah. Okay, so for the last question of this panel. It's more comment on the airtime. I was actually a great question. Um, I think um, the company called Transfer2 says the airtime remittance market is $20 billion globally. Um, we have to remember that air, uh, airtime then fed into M-Pesa, as we were talking before, right? Um, and I think a third of all M-Pesa transactions go into airtime anyway. I know that myself because I use it. Um, uh, Sageni, you know that I use your product, Airpesa, when I'm traveling and I need to top up my Safaricom and I use uh, um, your service to top up with Visa or PayPal. Um, I guess my question is, is there, yeah, is there a market for what you, some, some would call micro-remittance, where it's less than $20? When I'm buying Airtime, I'm not buying $100. I'm buying like $10, $20 so I can just make a call or just send someone Airtime because I needed to, to make a call. It's also a gift as well. It's a great gift. I love airtime as gifts. Uh, in fact, I think Bainu uses uh, airtime to incentivize the surveys, right? 
And there are companies like Jana as well who are also doing that. So airtime is actually quite an important currency to use in many different situations. I think you're absolutely right. I think the, there is a big airtime market and um, I think that will continue to grow as incentives for, for doing things and as gifting options. And um, yeah, it exists and it's there and it's, I believe will continue to grow.